Welcome, tennis fans, to KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, brought to you by Carvana. We sell cars, but we are not car salesmen. Featuring International Tennis Hall of Famer, former world number one, Mats Vlander, and Texas Longhorn all-time great, two-time All-American Johnny Levine. Your host of KickServeRadio.com is Andy Zoden. So, take it away, AZ. And take it away, I will. KickServeRadio.com, we are proud partners. We are part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We are joined by the great Mats Vlander, seven-time Grand Slam champion, former number one in the world, International Tennis Hall of Famer. Of course, we will be joined a little bit later in the show by former Texas Longhorn great, two-time All-American, Johnny Levine. I'm your host, Andy Zoden. And, Mats, we are so excited because we are joined tonight by the man himself. He is a guy that tennis fans around the world need to thank for a lot of what they get an opportunity to consume as tennis fans. He is president and CEO of Tennis Channel, Ken Solomon. Ken, we've been waiting for this opportunity for a long time. Thank you so much for joining us and making some time. Guys, it is so great to be with you. Matt's Andy, of course. Uh, Can't wait for the Longhorns to show up later. And uh, (laughs) this is going to be a blast. Truly, truly great to be with you. Well, I want to start with this, Ken, because there's just so many different great players in the history of our sport. And you started out, and we're going to talk about that as well as a ball kid, back before Indian Wells was Indian Wells. But let's start with this Mats Vlander because it's the 40-year anniversary. Yes, Roland Garros. That's right. And he's a three-time French Open champion. Talk a little bit about what you feel like this guy has brought to our sport, having to ski in the wake of the great Bjorn Borg, but he seems to have held his own, if you ask me. (laughs) Yes. Well, you know, around here, Mats is next to God. And after after you introduced him... (laughs) It was really, I had to pause because I go, now he's going to introduce me. It's a very short introduction versus a very long introduction and much deserved. I mean, one of the great Hall of Famers of all time. And I get the be- the pleasure forgetting what I, how I feel, which is he's become a great friend. But but believe me, I never take that for granted is, is watching other people interact with Matt's and seeing the adoration and yet his humility and knowing that it all started in 1992 on court Philippe Chartrier it started in 82, the road to immortality really began on the Terrabat two there. Roland Garros is particularly near and dear to our hearts at tennis channel. It was our first major ever. And, you know, just thinking about all the things that followed that it's um, we're just, it's a treat. You know, guys, 40 years, you know how old that makes me feel? I mean, this is absolutely nuts because I feel that it might have been 20 years ago. But I, I guess for me, um, the 40 year anniversary means so much more for me as a person because those two weeks I grew up from being 17 years old to, to literally being a seasoned veteran in one tournament. And it was because of the way I won it, I think, and because of the players that I beat. But it, what's more special for me, Ken, is I started in at Eurosport about 2003, 2004. Um, and I mean, I, I did it because somebody asked me to commentate a match. Little did I know, of course, that the greatest era of all time by miles was about to start and begin. You guys 
or you alone, who I thought was completely nuts, Ken, at the time. I'm like, wow, people are really going to sit. First of all, they're going to find Tennis Channel. They're going to they're going to buy it and they're going to sit and watch tennis like I do. So for you, the timing of starting the Tennis Channel. I mean, first of all, how nervous were you originally? Because obviously there's a lot of investors early on, I'm guessing. Yeah. And then suddenly Roger Federer shows up. And Andy Roddick, of course, wins the U.S. Open as well. Um, you know, it's a great question. And first of all, I hear what you say about about the history. I just have to say it about the Roland Garros win and how you grew up in those two weeks. And I think it's just yet another reason why tennis is so powerful is that everyone grew up with you. Everyone felt that journey. Those two weeks were the two weeks of a lifetime for a lot of people. And, you know, you took us with you and we could see that and um, where we could see it. And our job is to make sure everyone can see all of it for here forevermore. Um, In terms of Tennis Channel, uh, it was terrifying. Yet we believed because of the sport itself. And um, I remember... Murphy Jensen, who was one of who's our dear friend and thankfully in great health now right. after a crazy year, um, was, you know, basically our first personality. And when we were at our first Wimbledon and had to beg for a pass just to get on site and we were doing a show with Murphy, he said, I'm going to take you to meet Roger. And we went to Roger's place at Wimbledon Village and it, Mirka was there and we went in and sat in the yard and and I was explaining what we wanted to do and why we thought. Tennis Channel could do it. And he goes, it's Ken, that sounds good. So people are going to watch tennis all the time. And I said, yes, here's why. And I, t- and he said, how many subscribers do you have? And, you know, I, <laughs> I think it was probably like 10 million at the most. Right. Wow. And maybe, maybe. And I, and I, told him and then he said oh that's great he said how many does golf channel have and at the time they had been at it for over 17 years and i sheepishly said i think about 60 million but we're gonna get there and and we did and it required the continuity of being on all the time to take you through that journey if we just tuned into your final Matt's in 82 it would not be the same story as watching you go through that struggle for two weeks and i think that is the metaphor or so much of what we try to do. The more you context, the better it gets. You know, Matt's puts it into a great context, Ken, about starting Tennis Channel uh, at a time when, you know, the, the greatest players of all time have come into their own, you know, and it starts with Federer and then Rafa and then Novak. And of course, Venus and Serena aren't hurting your cause either. Now, as we are on the back end of what has been an incredibly long ride, much much longer than any of us could have ever anticipated, and it's not quite over yet, but eventually you're going to have to move on. And now you're on multiple platforms. You mentioned T2. Are you fearful in any way that the momentum could hit a bit of a lull with that, call it a void, of the loss of these household names that even people in the mainstream that aren't necessarily you know, hardcore tennis fans, they all know Federer, they all know Nadal, most of them know Djokovic, and all of them know the Williams sisters, and they certainly know Will Smith after the Oscars. So uh, for for better or for worse, what are you thinking on a go forward when this thing ends? Yeah, um, well, in terms of fear, not at all. And I artfully dodged uh, the, the initial, the prior question. And the real answer was, it sounds easy to say now that it's Roger and Rafa and Novak and Serena and Venus, who certainly were there. But guys, let me take you back to the, you know, you know, to when we started this thing 20 years ago, almost. 
They were not household names. True. Those people. And in fact, it was just the opposite. What they were saying is you're dead. You have no Americans. Where's Andy? You know, Andy was still with us and Andre was starting to get out. And there was then Pete had retired and they're going like, what happened? And, you know, for 20 years, I had to answer, you know, the it's great. But Jimmy Connors and who and, you know, again, my heroes as well. But, you know, Jimmy and Pete and they went back to and John and Mac McEnroe. You don't have that. How are you? This is must be a horrible time to launch. And the reality is that all you have to do is take out the history book and look. And there was a time when you said, hey, who's going to replace Connors and McEnroe and Borg and, and others? And before that, Laver and Rosewall and, and Nuke and you know, pick your era. But really, it was right before us, Andre and Pete. And so it did seem like, oh, my God, what a horrible time to do this. And the answer is that. Those stars are really incredibly important. But in the movie business, the star makes the movie more often than not, right? In television, the show makes the star. People become stars because they go on great shows. And tennis makes the stars. We, have ma- we are manufacturing great personalities. The good news is everyone gets to see them all every week, day in and day out. And if they want to follow them individually, modern technology and our team's hard work lets them. So they're not disappearing. Their legacies and their participation and involvement with the sport will continue. There's also the argument that it's time to make room and that they've just been so good that we haven't, there's a generation that missed out because they simply couldn't push those guys off the stage. But, you know, you don't have to look much further than Carlos Alcaraz. Thrilling to just the last two 1000s that he played, obviously getting the semis and giving Rafa his run for his money in in the semis, and then obviously winning Miami. This is magic, right? Happening right before our eyes. The question is, which ones are, who is it going to be? Let's hold that thought because I'm going to go to break right now because we've got a lot more. We're just scratching the surface, and we'll start with you. When we come back, we are joined by the main man at Tennis Channel, and that is Ken Solomon. More with Ken on kickserveradio.com, part of tennis channel podcast network when we come right back so do not go away hey guys andy zoden here with tennis channel podcast network i'm excited because we're joined by courtney ward and courtney you are in sports nutrition and you are with body fuse talk about how people north of the age of 45 are keeping fit and some of the things that they're doing to look like you do Well, hey, thank you, Andy. I so appreciate you having me on the podcast. And yeah, my company, Body Fuse, it's a sports nutrition company. And I'm 48 years old. And first and foremost, I think we just simply after 40, 45 years old, we have to keep moving, doing the things you like to do and support that with sports nutrition. And the Body Fuse lineup has everything to help you from pre-workout intra-workout and post-workout. And I think, you know, post-40 folks, it becomes very critical for us to support our bodies, both nutritionally and physically. So, you know, speaking to weight loss, the Body Fuse lineup has some great products uh, that specifically help to increase resting metabolic rate. And that's, uh, that's a product called a thermogenics. And moving your body is key as well and doing it smart and supporting that with a post-workout 
is also very, very important as we as we get older. How do folks get a hold of you? Our demographic of the folks that listen to our show happen to be right in your sweet spot. And I think it's a, a kind of a match made in heaven. My company is a company called Exclusive Nutrition Products. And I own, uh, within Exclusive Nutrition, we have basically three brands. Body Fuse is what we've been talking about is 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 one of them. Black Dragon Labs is the second and Next Level Nutrition is the third. And our websites, uh, Body Fuse websites is bodyfuseusa.com and Black Dragon Labs is blackdragon-labs.com. She is Courtney Ward and she is a sports nutritionist and a tennis player. Courtney, thank you very much. Well, thanks so much to you. I appreciate it, Andy. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back, everybody. KickServeRadio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. And, of course, we are joined by Ken Solomon. And, Matt, when we left off, you know, Ken was talking about the fact that maybe it is time to make room for these new players. And there was a time earlier in the year, last year, when you were quite happy to see Roger, Rafa, and Novak all ride off into the sunset with 20 majors. Well, we know that's not going to happen now. But kind of speak to the point that that Ken was making before we went to break. Yeah, I was actually hoping that. that, I mean, I I wished I could see them forever. Those three guys are unbelievable. But what I find, and I'm not sure that this is is fair to to point this out, but I actually am excited that we are going to have in the next 10, 15 years, I think we're going to have different winners of Grand Slams on the men's side very often. I don't believe that anyone is going to be able to, to dominate. Maybe Carlos Alcaraz, but I don't think he's, he's not big enough, doesn't maybe uh, um, serve good enough to be winning all the time. But as a, as a TV audience, can do they mind not having these superstars coming around? Do they think what I think, which is, for me, Tsitsipas against Carlos Alcaraz is as, as exciting as Federer and Nadal uh, has ever been. Maybe not the first couple of times at Wimbledon, but after that, I'm like, I know what's going to happen. I mean, if Rafa hits it high to Roger, Roger, his face gets a little red and he can't figure out how to get out of this hole. But with Tsitsipas and Alcaraz, you really don't know what's going to happen. And they're so fired up, these young guys. So does that come through when people watch on TV? And do they understand that the level... Because... I think the level is higher now than it was 10 years ago, which is insane with Federer and all playing like they did at Wimbledon, but they're better today. So how does people look at this? Is that, is that a scary thing for you? The sport naturally creates incredibly emotional, compelling, terrifying, inspiring, life-changing moments all the time. 
And it's only a question if we understand what the stakes are and if we were there to see it ourselves. It's never going to be boring. We are never going to have a paucity or a short, uh, it's just uh, of, of talent or people to admire. Because frankly, nobody knows better than Matt's than you. I mean, the, the level is high. It's, it's staggering how hard, how high, how much spin, the sliding on hardcore. I mean, there's so many things that you wouldn't have imagined just a scant five or 10 years ago, like you said, that the evolution continues of the individual athlete going out there and doing things that the more you understand, the more you, you just sit in awe. And my point earlier is that the, the sport itself becomes the stage for greatness and it doesn't have to be someone famous. What happens with someone famous, and there are no three greater, obviously, and let's not forget the women's side, by right. the way, incredible talent that, that is there. And I could go through them. I, Paula Badosa and Iga and Irina and Ivy and Simona's not like, there's a lot going on equally over there in terms of excitement. Um, it, it's just about putting your eyeballs on it, right? It's just about... The names attract the viewers. Once you're there, if it's a great match, uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter who they are. And I'll tell you guys something in the world of TV. Um, we know we don't control anything. So I don't have to sit around and root for what's going to happen. What's going to happen is what's going to happen. And we're going to be there to cover it just like the news, right? It is unpredictable. We don't know who's going to come out of nowhere and become a superstar. We don't know who's going to come out of retirement and come back after having a baby. And you know what? We have lived through enough to know it's always awesome. And, and you don't have to look any further than the U.S. Open this past year. I mean, the incredible story on the women's side, right, of, of Layla and Emma Raducanu. Oh and you just, each one of these, it was better. It was crazy. And they were the most famous people on the planet for the next few months. And then they had the burden of the reality of what does it mean to all of a sudden come out of nowhere, be a phoenix and be at the top. The narrative never ends. And the story continues. And the talent has to be there. It just has to be there. And, and you admire it when you see it. And so our job is just to reflect it as much as possible, make it easy and consistent and entertaining. And at the end of the day, just create the platform to let the magic happen. And there's a lot of magic happening. And for all of the history that we remember, there's a lot of magic that nobody got to see. Historically, we all everyone says, well, the Connors and the men, the, the, yes, and my heroes and the Yvonne Gulligan, you know, pick in Billie Jean and Martina and Chrissy. They didn't have the luxury of seeing everything else that was going on the fan at the time. They only got to see maybe the semis and the finals of a few tournaments a year. Matt, so I don't know if you agree with me, but I think one of the big mistakes that Ken has made with Tennis Channel is not putting himself in front of the camera oh, a little bit more. Who's going to generate more excitement in match? We talk about this all the time. Who are the guys that we really feel like bring the most excitement to what we're doing? I'm, I'm sitting here going, how is this guy not in front of the camera a little bit more? It gets old fast. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about T2 and, and, and Tennis Channel International, and, and there are different platforms and different verticals that are coming into Tennis Channel's purview. Uh, it's just becoming so great and so big. And it's, it's becoming a situation where, as you kind of alluded to uh, in the first segment, it's not just a matter of catching Matt's Vlander in the finals of a major. It's like storylines that start 
in the qualies. And what do we have to look forward to with all of the, you know, TC International and T2 and all that good stuff? Well, uh, I'll start with T2 because yeah. I think it's in many ways the most exciting thing. And no one ever says, even after two weeks of a Rolling Arrows or a full whatever, they, they, where we've been going round the clock, we're often in you know, five tournaments on four continents, just never stop literally around the clock, 24 hours a day with live coverage. And you'd think at the end of those weeks, people would go, all right, I'm done. I need a break. I've been watching. Give me more, right? Because it 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 rewards. So I think what's fun is, you know, now with the changing landscape of media, like before, only with greater scale, because we finally sort of arrived um, in overnight sensation, sensation, almost two decades in the making, we we said, well, how do we keep going? Because there's still so much more. And so what we've seen is the Roku's and the television manufacturers like Samsung have said, well, we're going to launch more channels, right? And we we started talking to Samsung and said, you know, we could actually do a whole second tennis channel for you. Wow. That's the matches that aren't on tennis channel, because when you have the whole rights portfolio, you have the whole thing. Now we'll look in on those matches and we're going to make sure that it's part of the tapestry when you're on tennis channel. But every time someone buys a Samsung television set now, they get Samsung TV plus is the first thing they saw and tennis C and tennis channel is the first live pro sports network that they have. Now, let me explain. It took us, it took our team 15 years to get into 30 million TV households. And then we got up eventually to 60 plus just with the channel we launched on Samsung TV Plus just a few, a month and a half ago, just before Indian Wells, two months, whatever, in 30 million households wow. and growing. We can now point you to go over there. And it's all part of the tennis ecosystem that keeps you entertained all the time. And then you have all the social, right? And tennis is just so uniquely suited because players are living this journey individually every single day. They're traveling all over, all over the world. They're exciting. They're amazing athletes. They're young. They're enthusiastic. And they're very, very talented and very, very different. And so we can now tell each one of their stories personally on an ongoing basis, 365 days a year, teeing up their journeys to when they get on the court and end up on one of our platforms because every single ATP and WTA match in the world is on a tennis channel platform, be it tennis channel T2, TC plus for sure. Um, you know, or being covered on social or the rest, that's a mouthful, but what it means is the opportunity is unbridled, right. For to, to share the amazing personalities that go out on that court. And we know that for every one of the top 200 there's 2,000 more people who didn't make it to that level and how elite, you know, all of these athletes are. And it's great to follow their journeys and see them break through. Can I go back in time a little bit here, Andy? Because I sure. want to bring something up. Because I was, I was playing, the, you just mentioned Indian Wells, Ken, and I was playing uh, Indian Wells in those days, La Quinta, yes. early 80s, early 80s. And I swear to God, was, I had this ball kid who's absolutely atrocious. Like, no <laughs> it had to be me. It had to be me. Long socks, long socks, tight little shorts and curly hair, I think. You were there at some point, I understand. And I'd probably... Tell yourself as a ball kid, as good as you saw Tennis Channel, man, you must have been unbelievable. But Andy, we got to go to a break, don't you think? <laughs> no, I got plenty of time, Ken. 
Thanks. We were fine. The truth is, I, I started it even before that at, at Mission Hills. Wow. Uh, which were the first couple of years. And uh, that's when it was brand new. And then they it was ATP. We moved it moved to uh, to La Quinta and then obviously to um, to the grand champions and ultimately to the, the gardens the, of the gardens of Oracle. <laughs> yeah. And now you guys are the you guys are the sole provider. It's all you can. Tennis Channel has all of Indian Wells. Am I correct about that? Yes, we have. Again, we have all of every single ATP and WTA match in the world that is televised being distributed on a Tennis Channel platform. There is no match, I wow. believe, that or virtually. And someone's going to call in and say, what about the if there's a TV, <laughs> if there is a camera on it, it's coming into our building right out here in Santa Monica. And we are putting it on either tennis channel T2 or one of the other platforms live. And then many of them on demand. So you can see it at your schedule or in a you know really convenient encore broadcast. So Ken, I, I have to ask you something and I'm going to go back in time a little bit as well, because a lot of people do enjoy the consumption of live tennis, but there are some of us that are sort of the history buffs that enjoy everything that Bud Collins and now Steve Flink and Joel Drucker and a lot of the people that do a lot of great work for you, uh, you know, put out there from a historical perspective. And you did a great job with that, with the original programming and a, a shout out to, to Heath Woodleaf and the team that you've got that produces all of that. But it seems like there's less of it nowadays. And it seems like if you could strike the perfect blend where you are still carrying all of this incredible live tennis throughout the world, but you could see a show that reminded you of the greatest doubles teams of all times and of the barnstormers. And of course, maybe the, your, 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 you know, masterpiece, uh, which was strokes of genius. Like there, there's a little less of that. And it seems like it would be great if we could see if there's anything in the works that you're going to you know bring to the table as well. Well, I, I clearly now have a new agent, Matt. You see it because uh, the master. <laughs> yeah, um, it was. Thank, thank you for recognizing the team because the reality is I get to be the front man, but that we have a team of people who work literally around the clock seven days a week. And our building doesn't close because it's tennis live somewhere and we are producing somewhere. Uh, original content that you're alluding to. Um, Barnstormers was, you know, for us, a, a breakthrough. We have, we're talking about actually coming back with that as a series. Um, I'll just take a half a step back. And, and there are evolutions in the way that these things uh, grow. And as you, you know, we, we grow really fast and things change really quickly, you know? And so make no mistake, there will be much more original long form as well as huge amount of features in short form, the Heath and Nitten and all the guys that, you know, right. do at our place. The beauty of these platforms is that it's going to allow us to do much more of that. And, and in the int and part of it too, was in the COVID period producing long form becomes a little, we, we have continued to, um, at, but becomes a little more tricky, but, I will make a commercial for short form features, which is if what there's no reason that a story they can occupy a half hour or an hour or even a 90 minute doesn't make one or a series of great five, three, five, seven minute features that are sprinkled within the coverage, giving you relevance yeah. to the history. True. No True. one is walking. We feel not only the opportunity, but the obligation 
and and the are so enthusiastic about being able to to tell stories that have never been told. The other thing that we are have been focusing on for years is finding the original source material of the tennis history, be it the libraries, the films, the the you know we'll someone will give us a call and say, you know, I think there's about 10,000 slides in somebody's, you know, basement because their uncle was a photographer. They don't know what to do with it. We are now literally have gone to the folks that did the Library of Congress to carefully uh, not only digitize, but then put the proper storytelling behind each slide and each piece of film, stuff the world hasn't seen in 50 years, so that we can have it available to tell endless stories going forward. So I promise you, and, and again, to the point on Barnstormers, which thank you, you brought up, the, you know, the birth of open tennis, we finally got done because Mike Davies, rest in peace, was saying, he called himself Mike Davis, <laughs> said, wasn't, wasn't well. And we had talked about it for years. And Butch Buckholtz, one of the other, you know, handsome eight said, uh, and Barnstormers said, you know, Mike isn't well. And we said, we're going to get this thing done so he can see it before we lose him. And he's probably the star interview in, in the documentary. When we did Bud Collins' um, documentary on Bud and went back and found these crazy, these amazing interviews from WGBH in Boston with Bud not only doing tennis, he was, he was literally the founder of tennis announcing. He was the first journalist to become a sportscaster in the sports business. It had just been sort of hosts before that. Um, and I remember turning to him and saying, Bud, when was, and he was interviewing Muhammad Ali, like early, early, still cash is clay. Wow. And I said, Bud, what, this is amazing. And he's like, Ali clearly loved him. They had a relationship, obviously black and white, both of them very skinny compared to how we think of them. And I said, when was the last time you saw this? And he turned to me and I promised there was a tear in his eye. And he said, this film, right? This, like these clips that we, that these pieces. And he said, never. Wow. It had never been on. It had never been shown. The tennis history has never been shown. So you're going to get it. It's going to be old, new, borrowed and blue. And I promise you will see more of it. And thankfully you'll be able to call it up when you want to see it because of technology and the ability to personalize media these days. And, and Matt's, we have to let Ken go now, but I know that we speaking of seeing the, the history of tennis tennis channel is going to take great care of you as well. They should with the 40 year anniversary of your amazing victory at Roland Garros as just a 17 year old, but I do have to correct you on one thing. Can I have Dennis Ralston in town several years back, rest in peace. And he was being inducted into the Colorado tennis hall of fame of which I was emceeing that gala that night. We went to breakfast and I used, I told him, you know, you know, my mother was a big fan of yours. In fact, she was a big fan of the handsome eight. And he said, well, you know, a lot of people refer to the handsome maid. It was actually the handsome seven and Tony Roach. So <laughs> I, I felt like I kind of had the same reaction you guys did. But, but uh, you know, well, Dennis was I just have to say it. Dennis was the head of Mission Hills when this thing started. Uh, he was also the captain of the Davis Cup team. He was I was a kid in junior high. We used to kind of steal the golf carts, but I would do magic shows at Dennis's kids' birthday parties. He was one of the greatest human beings of all time, as you know. And uh, that is not surprising that that was the story he told you. Well, Ken, we really appreciate you guys 
showing a vote of confidence and taking a chance on us to be a part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. And speaking of recognizing the team, we really want to thank Ari Cohen and Andy Chu and Eric Abner. And of course, my old friend who I go way back with, David Eggdis, who uh, has done a tremendous job for you for all these years. But I know I speak for Matt's yourself and, and Johnny Levine and, and, and myself in uh, letting you know how excited we've been from the day we had the opportunity to be a part of what you guys are doing. And now to really, uh, you know, have it culminate with the opportunity to have you on our show has been a real treat. So thank you very much. Thank you guys. That was an easy decision. You make us better and we're just so thrilled to be doing it. And for sure, as Bob Wiley, our head of production says, the best is yet to come. Thank you so much, Ken. Stay with us, everybody. When we come back, the aforementioned Johnny Levine will be joining us. We got to talk more about this Carlos Alcaraz because he is the first teenager in the top 10 in the world since Rafael Nadal in 2005. You're listening to kickserveradio.com, AZ, Matt, and Johnny. Thanks to Ken Solomon. We'll be right back right after this. Don't go away. Okay, everybody, on kickserveradio.com, you know we talk a lot of tennis, but we would be remiss not to talk some pickleball. And coincidentally, I happen to be joined by the co-founders of Georgie and Lou. This is a pickleball bag and accessory company, and I, I happen to be joined by Lori Manzer and Mimi Kuchman. Mimi, your product is, I would have to call it a unicorn. It, it really does mix function and fashion, and it solves a lot of the pain points for pickleball players. Just talk about the bag itself. Tell these folks what they have to be excited about if they happen to order from you guys. So the bag fits anything and everything that you could possibly want to play pickleball. It has places for your water bottle, the balls, um, your keys, all kinds of things. But the best thing about the bag is it's got a carabiner on our new system that you can actually hang onto the gates. It keeps it off of the ground and it's perfect. Seems like you guys have kind of branched out a little bit, Lori. It's not just bags. You got accessories now too. We do, and our new line's coming out before summer, and we'll have a lot of different straps that kind of work across the whole collection, so you can kind of make the bag your own. We're going to have tassels and charms and straps, and so you'll really be able to personalize the bag and feel like it's yours, and nobody has a bag like yours, so... One thing I've learned from my good friend, Karen Schott, down at the Broadmoor, is that Pickleball players want pickleball gear. It's not just a matter of sharing with the tennis people anymore. There is a, a clear line of demarcation, and they can get that from you guys. So, Mimi, where do they go? So, you can go online at georgieandlou.com. It's G-E-O-R-G-I-E-A-N-D-L-O-U.com. And you'll be on the court looking stylish and ready to go. They are Lori Manzer and Mimi Kuchman. The company is Georgie and Lou. Go to georgieandlou.com. I promise you, you are going to love what you see. Get it for yourself. Get it as a gift. But get you some of that pickleball gear from Georgie and Lou. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Welcome back, everybody. Final segment, kickserveradio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Johnny Levine joins us now, and we'll get to him in just a second. But, Matt, I got to catch my breath. I mean, trying to keep up with Ken Solomon's energy. I mean, I can see why this guy would be running the Tennis Channel. Have you ever heard a more passionate person talk about tennis in your life? <laughs> no, just unbelievable. I mean, obviously very knowledgeable, but uh, um, just to, to push such a crazy idea, because I can remember when they started and they were struggling, I thought. Uh, and I'm like, this is crazy. Uh, and you're, you're shrinking the tennis audience down to, you know, he said 10 million early on. Um, and I thought you were shrinking it down, but it's actually exploded into what he said over 60 million, but it's all, it's not all him, but it is all him in a way because he's so enthusiastic. And to me, and I know to you, Andy, as well, and and Johnny, who's going to be allowed to speak in a moment. um, (laughs) To me, it's so cool to meet people, to talk to people that have that same passion for the sport, because I thought it was about winning Maybe it was about money. Maybe it was about titles. Maybe winning the French Open in 1980. No, it's not. It's not about any of that. It's about the sport itself uh, and the depth of the sport. If it comes to teaching or someone like Ken Solomon, you just meet these incredible people in tennis. And Ken Solomon is right at the top of the, the, top of the pyramid when it comes to enthusiasm. Amazing. Johnny, when we were talking to Ken, he kept referring to the storylines that go way beyond just the final weekend of a tournament and to, you know, get to know these players and to get to see them along their journey. And it seems like your tournament in Arizona is kind of a microcosm of that philosophy. And it seems like maybe that is what has gotten you to the point where you are, where this is something that you're going to continue forward with. Cause you know, you watch JJ Wolf break through and make it to the semifinals and Dennis Kudla do what he did by winning the singles and the doubles and watching these guys who are really grinding out on the tour. It's getting to know these players that aren't household names and really seeing them try to claw their way to the top, the way you tried. So really the Arizona tennis classic in a way is I would think modeled uh, in in your heart, similarly to the way Tennis Channel is in Ken Solomon's. Yeah, I can see that for sure. And thanks, guys. Good to be with you. And I understand what you're saying, Andy, because, you know, when you think about all the commentators and the people around the Tennis Channel, all the interviews that they do and all the camaraderie that they have with the players, they do get to know them and they do bond with them and they root for them. They follow them. And, and, and it is similar to what we had at in Phoenix at the, at the Arizona tennis classic. I mean, we still, I mean, I know the members still talk about Matteo Berrettini and how, how connected they feel to him still because he was the inaugural champion and they follow him and they see his results. And we'll do the same with, with the new guys with Kudla and, and JJ Wolf. I know everyone will be following them. And so you do get that, especially, you know, when you get close to the players at, at our tournament, we are fortunate that, um, you know, it's such an intimate setting and, and, and the, the folks at the tennis channel, they have that every week with the players. And so I, I can totally see where Ken is coming from, that they, they get to know the players and as human beings, not just just athletes on the court. Um, and they understand and they, they get to know their personalities and, and they become friends, I'm sure, with a lot of the players. So um, totally see your point on that. 
Matt, it's a tricky subject, but you are never one to shy away from them. And it has to be discussed, which is the decision that Wimbledon has made to ban Russian players, to ban Belarusian players. And there have been many sides to this argument. And I don't know that it's necessarily for us to determine whether Wimbledon's decision was right or wrong. But do you think most tennis fans and players will agree with the decision? Or do you think that they're going to come in on the side of Novak Djokovic, which is the one that says these tennis players had nothing to do with the decision that the leader of Russia has made to invade this country. Where do, where are your thoughts on that decision? Well, I mean, I think it's worth pointing out that, that um, uh, Wimbledon uh, has in common with the masters at Augusta, where they are the only two private clubs that host uh, majors in golf and tennis. Um, Wimbledon has always been, been very, um, um, Exclusive? They, yeah, they've always made decisions before everybody else. Remember when COVID hit, they decided to cancel it immediately. Obviously, it had something to do with they, they have an insurance uh, for some kind of virus, uh, and, uh, and they cashed in on it. But they made a decision very early. And I think Wimbledon, they, they feel they're much bigger than just a tennis tournament, and they're trying to be very – they're very progressive believe it or not, because you always think Wimbledon is old-fashioned and they don't know they're not. They're at the forefront of technology and innovation when it comes to running Grand Slam tournaments. And the other, the other tournaments are actually looking at Wimbledon so much more than I think people realize. And I think they are trying to just have a voice in general life as well, which I respect fully. I mean, to, to ban players from Belarus and Russia, that, I think that's a little bit harsh, but... I mean, this problem is a much bigger problem than not having Daniel Medvedev play Wimbledon, for sure. If it's going to do anything for the situation that they're in, in Ukraine, by banning Russian tennis players, well, first of all, it means that tennis is a bigger sport than we realize, and that Daniel Medvedev uh, is a bigger star, and so is Victoria Zarenka from Belarus and Arena Sabalenka. So it's really difficult to have an opinion about it. I mean, I I feel really bad for the players, of course, um, because it's not just Wimbledon. It's going to be the whole grass court season, I think. So it's basically coming in. And they follow what Wimbledon does in Queens and in the other uh, tournaments in, um, down in um, Eastbourne and, and wherever else, Birmingham, where they play. So I don't know. It's tough. But, I, I mean, I, I have to applaud Wimbledon for actually making a statement and, and, and taking the lead in this, whether it's wrong or right. I don't know. Maybe in th- two months when Wimbledon comes around, we might all think that it was right to do that. I don't, I don't know, but uh, yeah, it's it's tough. I think take the country away from them in in terms of presenting them. Don't say that they come from Russia and Belarus. I think that was a cool thing, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's a tough one, Andy. Let me just jump in here real quick, Andy, and let you guys know that uh, I understand that the Italian Open is doing the same thing. Did you know that? I did not know No, that. did not know that. Yep, so... Yeah, well, well, thank you for pointing that out. And it is a tough subject to have a strong opinion on, but one that I feel like we have to at least acknowledge on this show. Now, let's turn the corner to a little bit of a, of a more pleasant subject. And, Johnny, you'll be attending the French Open this year. Matt's is for the 40th anniversary of him winning, so you're going to get to be there to, to celebrate uh, that incredible uh, achievement of Matt's from 1982. But you're also going to see potentially – you know, the birth of a new superstar in our sport. And Carlos Alcaraz has uh, become the first teenager, the youngest player since Rafael Nadal 
in 2005 to uh, to become a member of the top 10 in the world. And you're going to get an opportunity to see this kid play at the French Open this year. Um, we've been talking about Tsitsipas. We've been talking about Zverev and all these other players that were going to be the next Grand Slam champion. Of course, Medvedev broke through and won in New York last year. And we've been talking about this Alcaraz winning in Miami, uh, but then winning in Barcelona and doing so in a fashion where he won a, a, a pretty you know routine final over Pablo Carreño Busta, but in the semis he was down a set and five three to Alex Dimonar, serving with two match points. Is it a win like that, which really just continues to add to the mental weaponry that this kid needs to potentially present himself as as, as a true Grand Slam contender right now? Absolutely. Uh, well, he had a great U.S. Open in 2021, and so everyone started to see what Alcaraz is capable of. And sure enough, he's he's performed uh, brilliantly um, in the last three months, and he has to be a favorite um, for for the French Open. Um, you know, he's just playing with no fear. Um, an amazing athlete, uh, incredible weaponry off both sides. He's got so much confidence going for him right now. He's really not that big of a surprise. If you really understand this kid's game and where he's come from and his rise to where he is now, it's been expected of him. And so I think when you get through, when you look at a player like Alcaraz, the youth that he has and playing a match, like you talked about against Damon and being down two match points. I mean, this is really what champions are made of where you see them come through in matches like that and win them. Um, and, and, and this is really kind of a breakthrough situation to, to, to get through that victory in, in, uh, you know, Barcelona and Madrid. And so I think, I think he's definitely got to be one of the favorites at the French open. That's what do you think? I mean, obviously you go in there in 1982, you, you, you go in there, you're a little, I would say a little more under the radar at the time than certainly what Alcaraz is now. But you weren't necessarily well, and, and you were going against a field that's similar to what he's up against now because you had Velos to contend with, not to mention Lendl and Garolitis. And it seemed like all the top clay court guys in the world, you had to knock them off in that 82 tournament. But I mean, can this guy go in and win this year? I mean, I think he can. I really do. And I think it's wow. more important. It's, it's the most important part about Carlos Alcaraz uh, to me is that there's been this. People have said that, well, you can't be 18 anymore. You can't be a teenager and you can't compete because tennis has become so physical. And I hate that because that means you have to be six foot four, six foot five. You got to serve bombs all the time. And I always say that that is not true. The reason why the, the Marin Cilic and Kane Shikor and these guys couldn't break through is because they weren't mature enough mentally. And then you see Carlos Alcaraz and he, yes, he's faster than most players. Um, he has an unbelievable forehand. He doesn't serve well at all, but no one does at his age. But mentally, he's literally the best, strongest player on tour at this particular moment because Rafa Nadal is not playing. And I think it's huge for the sport that that kids see that, hey, I'm 14 and I'm 
number one in America, Sweden, wherever. And I'm four or five years away from actually winning tournaments on the tour. Instead of what people were saying, you have to be 22, 23, 24 years old because it takes so long. And I'm like, no, tennis is so much more mental than people are trying to make it lately because the guys are bigger and they serve huge. Yeah, that's important. But the mental side is absolutely massive. So I could never understand the argument. Uh, And now... I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to tell myself that I think I was right. I, we just haven't had the likes of Carlos Alcaraz mentally at that age since Rafa Nadal. And it is possible. And he's now setting the stage that, that other kids can look at him and say, OK, this is how you behave. This is how you play. You can actually live a, 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 another day by hitting drop shots. I mean, the guy, hits drop, he plays more fun shots than any player on tour, apart from maybe Nick Curios when he decides to play. But I mean, the, the artistry is just incredible for someone who's that young. Amazing. Johnny, we spoke to Ken and one of the subjects that he brought up and of course had a tremendous amount of excitement about was talking about the women in the U S open last year with, with Fernandez and, and Radicanu. And then since then, how, you know, when talking to, to Pat cash and some of the guys that are out there in and among the women's tour and, and our good friend, Craig Carden, that, that, it is such a wide open field that everyone in the locker room feels like on a given day, anyone in that women's locker room that they might walk away with a trophy. Now, suddenly we look up a few weeks later and that is not the case. Iga Swiatek has become the number one player in the world. She's won four tournaments. She's won 23 matches in a row. Has this swung wildly in the direction of, there's Iga Swiatek, and then there's the rest of the tour. Or do you still see this thing as a wide open field as we move into the clay court season? Yeah, I mean, she's still very young. Um, she's got a lot of confidence. She's won these four tournaments. She did have a couple of tight matches in there. Was lucky to escape. She's beatable. She's definitely beatable. And 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 there there are women behind her that can come out. You know, probably twenty five women that could still win a slam uh, behind her. Although I think she's playing with such confidence that going into the French Open where that is her lone Grand Slam title, I believe she's just a big, big favorite. She definitely can can win that again. Is, and, and I think that but I still feel that the depth of women's tennis, um, you know, she's won these tournaments. But again, she's just won one slam. So let's see if she can, you know, repeat at the French Open and then we'll have a different conversation. But the women's game is like we've been talking about is got such variety. There's so many different players that can win. It's super exciting, but, but we do have to give uh just a ton of credit for, for the dominance that she's shown the last several weeks. That's as you think about going over there and obviously you've got your, your own situation where you will be celebrated, but you're also going to be working and you're going to be doing your thing for Eurosport and, and, when you think about the women's side of the draw, does the absence of Ash Barty leave a tremendous void from the standpoint of what the, the, the tennis consumer will actually miss? Or is she just going to be someone that we feel was revered and a great player and a great person and a great ambassador of the sport? But from the standpoint of the ratings and the intrigue and the theater and the excitement of the women's game, is there a tremendous void there as if, you know, Serena Williams is done now, or is it just the beat will kind of go on? 
Well, I actually think there's a huge void with Ash Barty gone because of the way she played, not necessarily because of her personality. Okay. Um, she's got a beautiful game, of course, great serve, great forehand, unbelievably cool slice. But you knew that she was going to show up and she was going to, She's going to play tennis. She wasn't just going to hit the ball. She was going to play tennis. And I think that uh, it's, yeah, it's a big void for the women's tour. And I think that's where Iga Schwantek, I mean, I, I, I think Ash Barty is the one that could have hurt Iga Schwantek and actually make her play worse. But what the women's tour sometimes have is that they get on these roles where they play unbelievably well, but there's, there are not as many women as there are men that are able to destroy somebody else's game, which is such a big part of tennis. I mean, especially for us who are tennis freaks or tennis nuts, to me, that's more enjoyable to see than two people smacking the ball and playing unbelievable tennis. I, I, I enjoy that Ash Barty, the creativity and playing, playing the opponent, not necessarily worrying about herself as much, but she's playing her opponent, just like a Roger Federer has done over the years and just like a Rafa Nadal is doing, doing now and, and Novak Djokovic in, in many ways, maybe not quite as much. So I think there is a big void, but in terms of the personality of Ash Barty, I, I think that she's going to be forgotten pretty quickly. I have to say that I am doubtful that we won't see her again. I mean, I know she said that, but I really, really feel that she's an athlete. She's, she's going to be missing the game at some point, and she's going to be missing these problem-solving situations that you have in tennis that you might not necessarily run into in other sports. And I think that that's – obviously, we hope she comes back. But, yeah, I think there's a void, and there's definitely a situation where you can take it and run with it now, and Iga Swantek is doing that. Last thing, what I love about Alcaraz and Swantek it's a long-term process. When you watch them play, for me, it's a long-term process. They're not going to come, come in and go away. Carlos Alcaraz, it doesn't matter if he loses to Diminar. It doesn't matter if he, he's going to be improving every single time that he goes on the tennis court, whether it's practice or matches. He might not win everything. And I feel like Iga Schwantek has made that decision with her own tennis as well, uh, where she's not playing as big as she used to, but she's playing within herself and she's realizing that, hey, I'm better than everybody else. Even if I play at 90% of my ability, that's what great champions do day in and day out. So I think these two players are, I mean, the two most exciting young players we've had for a long, long, long time. Well, Johnny, uh, Matt's is talking about this is what champions do. And he talks about Ash Barty potentially coming out of retirement. And it seems like in this day and age, that is what champions do. Do you agree with Matt's? Does Ash Barty pick up the phone, call Tom Brady, ask for some <laughs> advice on coming out of retirement, or have we seen the last of her? Well, I would think that she's done for good. However, okay. I think she, I think she's a person that likes new challenges in her life, and I think that right now, whether it's golf or whatever she wants to do, she's just ready for a new challenge. So, could that? challenge at some point be, hey, now I'm 29, 30, and I want to come back and challenge myself to be the number one player in the world again. So I wouldn't put that past her because it might change. Um, but right now, I'm, I'm pretty well set that she's done for good. Um, it would be fun to see her come back at some point. I think that she is such an amazing athlete. She has such an even keel mental framework that I think that 
she could do it at, at any point in time. I just think she carries herself so well and whatever she decides to do is great. But boy, was she amazing for, for the game of tennis as a whole. Can I just jump in there and say that, Johnny, that is so brilliant what you just said, because Ash Barty, and then it goes along with what I was trying to say, but my English is not as good as yours. Obviously. <laughs> She's a problem solver. She always talked about solving the problem on the tennis court. And I agree with you 100 percent. Suddenly, that's not that interesting anymore. And now she's into solving problems in life. Uh, and that doesn't mean that she has problems. But I mean, that, that's what life is about. And I think she's doing it on the golf course. She must probably start playing cricket again. Uh, and uh, yeah, I agree with you. And then at some point she might run out of challenges and then she might get back on tour. But when she does, it's important to not think she's going to be back at the top because that might not necessarily happen. I've tried it and it doesn't work. All right. My last comment is to Jeremy Brisky, our audio producer. And I'm going to say, Jeremy, do not edit out where Matt Lander tells Johnny Levine that what you just said was brilliant because we need to keep that in there. For kickserveradio.com, I'm Andy Zoden, joined, of course, by the great Matt Lander, who will be celebrated as he should be at this year's French Open. Johnny Levine will be there to celebrate along with him. I wish I could be. I'll just have to be catching it on the telly. We really enjoyed having Ken Solomon on with us tonight from Tennis Channel, and that's why I'll be able to watch these guys on television is because of the great work that they do at Tennis Channel. We're kickserveradio.com. Proud to be part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Keep your eye on the French Open and check out Matt Spielander because you're going to see him there as you should. He won the thing 40 years ago. And stay with us at kickserveradio.com. We'll be back with you real soon. <laughs>